This week's podcast is sponsored by Direction. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the Investing with IBD podcast. It's Justin Nielsen here, and the date is January 25th, 2023. And as always, I have Arusha Pires, Portfolio Manager over at O'Neill Global Advisors, joining me. How are you doing today, Arusha? I'm doing well, Justin. It's always good to be here. Yep. Good to have you, as always. And uh, we've also got, as our special guest today, one of the fan favorites, uh, Joe Fami. He is a managing director over at Soar Capital. Um, Joe, how are you doing today? Doing well. Thanks for having me. And uh, congrats on 200 episodes. That's a huge accomplishment. Yeah, thanks. Thanks. Uh, thanks a lot. And so for those of you that don't know, I mean, uh, Joe, you, you, you've been on the podcast a number of times. I mean, you're on IBD Live. You're a regular there on our IBD Live show. And I, I've got to say, your Twitter spaces are just a hoot. Uh, I mean, sometimes it, it, it's so funny. I mean, it, they'll, they'll sometimes go long, and I forget. Like, the time just kind of goes, you know, it's, it's, it's so engaging, you know, the stuff that you talk about on your Twitter spaces. So, um, yeah, really, you. You, you give a lot of great information. So, uh, of course, if people don't follow you, they should absolutely give you a follow on Twitter. That's at jfami, F-A-H-M-Y. Um, de definitely good, a lot of good content. And uh, yeah, and a lot of good jokes. A lot of good jokes. I mean, uh, Joe Joe brings the humor. Joe brings yes. the humor as- And a lot of uh, bad jokes too. So you have to take the good with the bad. <laughs> right, exactly. Hey, it's, it's kind of like a market, right? You you have your bad days, you have your good days, you know, but if the, if the good outweighs the bad, then you can make some money, so. Uh, so uh, today we're going to be talking a little bit about the market, of course. Uh, Joe's got some kind of lessons about what he's seeing out there, is specifically on the tight action and how that can be so constructive for charts. And then he's also going to share with us a few of his ideas. But uh, let's go ahead and start. Uh, Joe, do you want to do you want to start with the Nasdaq composite here today? Yeah, yeah. Let's start with the Nasdaq because I want to discuss um, the price action since the end of the year. Um, end of 2022 and the, over the past few weeks, I've just noticed a little subtle difference in the price action in a, in a positive sense. I guess mm -hmm. to sum it up, the, the up days have occurred on stronger volume and the down or sideways days have been on lighter volume. So what we want to see coming out of this bear market is the institutions consistently coming back into the markets. So if you start with the recent low on the NASDAQ on December... Uh, 28th, I believe. Yep. Uh, we held that low. So you start, we're in a correction. You start counting the lows, part of the, you know, the rules that you have as far as uh, you're looking for a follow through day, looking for signs of the institutions coming in. So we held that low end of the year, holiday, uh, you know, slow period. So it's at least good that we held that low. And then when the volume came back in the beginning of the year, I was really curious if it was going to be to the upside or the downside. And thankfully for the bulls, it was to the upside with a day six follow through day on January 6th. Right. So that was that follow through day. But then from there, the subtle character change was that after that follow through day, we held above uh, the 21 EMA for a couple of days. Those next two days after the follow through day, we held above it. And to my point earlier, we pulled back on lighter and lighter volume. Why that's a character change is because if you look at the chart throughout most of 2022 that 21 day was resistance so mm -hmm. to get a little bit above that and to hold even though it was a couple of days as i said 
It's a subtle character change. And then we had an additional follow through day, follow through type day on, uh, excuse me, January 11th, like a day nine follow through day right. right after that. So it's nice to see the institutions coming into the market, not giving it back, coming back into the market. Because let's not forget, this is important to track because the big institutions control the markets and they don't do all their buying at once. You want to see them consistently coming in over a few week period. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, one of the things to, to your point, um, whereas it seemed like in 2022, every time we had a follow through day, you were almost immediately tested where it, it, we had like, oh, OK, we're going to have the follow through day. And then we undercut the follow through day, like within a, a couple weeks. And, you know, granted, last week's action wasn't fun. I mean, it, you know, whenever you have a pullback that sharp um, and it did breach the 21 day uh, EMA briefly, uh, but it, it at least happened higher than, than what was happening before in 2022, where you had no cushion whatsoever, and then you were just all of a sudden like underwater. At least this was like, okay, you had a little bit of a cushion, so maybe you could weather the storm. But I mean, let's just kind of fast forward to today, and it, it seems like there's almost like a buy on the dip mentality coming back. Yeah, that subtle change is showing that uh, instead of that uh, resistance being strength being sold into, we're starting to see uh, the weakness being bought up again. So to your point, we did pull back last week to the 21 day, but thankfully it was on lighter volume. Right. And then last Friday and this Monday, so Friday, January 20th, and this Monday, January 23rd, we almost had follow through type action. Not almost, we did. It was huge mm -hmm. volume on consecutive yeah. days of close to 2%. So that's four days since the, the December 28th low, where it's signs of the institutions coming in. And to your point, we came down close to the 21 day. And again, it's it's slow and steady. It's a step in the right direction that uh, the dips are being bought and the strength is coming on uh, on good volume. Yeah. And, and I just wanted to highlight, I'll, I'm going to switch over to the, the S&P 500 just really quickly, because there was a subtle character change on this index, too. Uh, every time in 2022, when we came up to the 200-day, uh, that would start off a pretty decent sell-off over the next mm -hmm. couple of months. Uh, and even at the very end of 2022, this time, you started that sell-off, but within a few weeks, that selling actually kind of stopped, or at least there were buyers holding up. And so really over the last five, six weeks, you've almost put in a cup-shaped pattern right underneath the 200-day that it started to emerge from. So it became a lot more orderly and a little bit more of a subtle character change going on with the S&P 500, too. Yeah, and now that we're above it and we don't have enough data or days to analyze it, but to Justin's point, it didn't get immediately sold off. It's at least trying to find some support near that 200-day on the S&P as well. Mm -hmm. And, um, of course, we'll get into this a little bit more, but when we talk about tighter action, one of the things that I think is a little heartening about the S&P 500 is what Arusha was saying, how before we used to you know, come up to the 200-day moving average line, sell off, and go to new lows. Right. I mean, that's what happened throughout 2022. This time, we held and made a higher low, and so you're kind of not getting as much of a a pullback here and, and and you held just so much better yeah that's a good point that uh we didn't make a new low found some institutional support and then after that institutional support 
uh, signs of the selling drying up, they came back in with some decent uh, buying. So again, it's a step in the right direction. These things don't happen overnight, but that's it's really important to follow and do our best to interpret what the big institutions are doing, whether they're consistently selling or consistently buying. And it's nice to see a little bit of consistent buying over the past few weeks. Mm -hmm. Now, one of the things that is kind of, I guess, hard for some people to kind of wrap their heads around is um, with a lot of the institutions, they're, they're fully invested. So it's kind of like when, when they're doing buying, where are they getting the capital? And certainly one of the ways in which they'll get capital is by selling other things. And that's where you get sector rotation. So can you maybe talk a little bit about how we saw the Dow Jones Industrial Average looking so much stronger off that October low? And now things have shifted, and it's like the Nasdaq is 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 back in back in control. So what what happened there? Yeah, the Dow held up better throughout 2022 because value did better than growth, industrials. Because to your point about some institutions have to stay fully invested, they rotated into the safer, lower PE value industrial, more stable businesses. Uh, that's why the Dow did hold up much better. And again, it was a subtle character change. Last week, the Dow was down where the NASDAQ composite was up. Again, it's only one sample size of one week, but <laughs> right, yeah. it could be a subtle character change that it possibly as we're getting towards the end of this rate hiking cycle, money's rotating back into growth. And we did see that last week with the NASDAQ doing a little bit better than the Dow. Any idea? Like, So it is only one week, but... Does it require two, three weeks to, to help you get conf confidence that the rotation really is on? Have, have you ever come across anything like that? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I'd like to see it over a couple of weeks, but the whole point is that if the rally is for real, we will get a nice power trend that could last six to 12 weeks. So you'll see those signs over. I'd like to see it consistently over a couple of weeks. I've never really thought of the exact amount of time, but I'd like to see a little bit more consistency. And then, you know, if you like to trade growth stocks, you can hopefully get a sustained rally for a little bit in growth. Mm -hmm. So since we've covered kind of the, the gambit with the Dow Jones Industrial Average, the NASDAQ and the S&P 500, maybe I could just get your thoughts real quick on the small cap index. Uh, you know, we a lot of times we'll use IWM, the iShares Russell 2000 ETF is kind of a proxy for the small caps. And, you know, this this was arguably the first one to get above its 200-day moving average line, but it hasn't seemed to quite have as, as much strength or has it petered out? What's what's your take on the, the small cap market right now? Yeah, it's it's definitely uh, the first one to regain, or not the first, but it, it, it regained that 200-day versus the NASDAQ and S&P, so right, shorter yeah. term, near-term relative strength, that's good. It came back down to retest that 200-day. Uh, it's a sign for me... I mean, in the larger scheme of things, the the Russell's not, you know, market cap, not a big section of the market, but it's an indicator of risk on when institutions are putting money into small and mid cap names. Even the MDY is another example in the mid cap mm -hmm. 400, uh, how that's acting well, too. So to me, it's just more of an indicator of risk on when institutions are putting money into smaller cap names. Right. So now on that risk on front, we've got We've got earnings season, you know, so I mean, the, the next few weeks are going to be really busy. I think what half of the companies basically are are going to be having reported within uh, the next week and a half or so. Um, we've got that. We've got the Fed, which has been one of those things that's uh, 
been looming that with the wall of worry to climb there we've got more economic data that comes out and it seems like that jostles the market so it seemed like for a lot of 2022 investors were getting maybe a little bit too hopeful in terms of oh yeah the fed's going to stop soon or you know we, we see the light at the end of the tunnel do you think this is another case of that where it's just a, a bear market rally people are getting too excited too quickly and they're not looking at the the downside risks the recession potentially coming the you know fed maybe not being done as quickly as they think and so on um as far as uh it's a great question that you, i i want to stress you can meet halfway because you can mm -hmm. make a case possibly for a new uptrend in a new bull market but i also see your point that the fed even if they might be towards the end of their rate hiking cycle, they're still going to keep things restrictive to fight inflation. And it feels like every time people got their hopes up, a uh, hawkish tone would come out of the Fed to knock the market down. So right. I think you can meet halfway, meaning instead of buying 100 shares, you can buy 50. That way, if things go higher, you at least own some. And then if we see some downside, you don't get hit as bad. So uh, it's a point I always like to stress whenever you're getting into a position or out of a position, it doesn't have to be all or none. You can you can scale your way in and out to help deal with some of those uncertainties that you mentioned. Mm -hmm. yeah. is, is there a point where you you might think to yourself that, you know, there, there's just so much noise out here or, yeah, yeah I mean, there's just so much macro kind of things going, kind of like what Justin was just talking about there, where you just almost hit a threshold and say, you know what? Let me just focus on what's actually happened in the market, the price and volume action, looking for falter days. Do you ever find yourself just kind of trying to take a step back and focusing on just the simplicity of price and volume where it's going to really in many ways tell uh, the true picture? Yeah, that's actually what I it's a great reminder. That's what I, I get caught up. We all do in the discussions in the macro and you can overthink things. Right, right. Um, the macro picture. I mean, you're really going to understand equities, fixed income, currencies, commodities and how they all intertwine in 195 countries. It's impossible. So <laughs> right. you end up overthinking things too much that um, I unless you're running a you know $10 billion global macro fund, you really don't need. Uh, to be focused on all of this. And it's a great reminder, the big institutions control the market, keep it simple, price and volume. And to your point, that quote is, don't focus on what you think the market should be doing, focus on what it's actually doing. And price and volume is a simple way to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, when we come back, we're going to get into a little bit more of the tight action that Joe Fami is seeing out there, maybe some historical examples of what that's looked like in the past and uh, how that has kind of played out. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Trading Apple, sometimes you get the bear. Sometimes it gets you. Single stock daily leveraged and inverse ETFs from Direction. Before investing, carefully consider a fund's objectives, risk, charges, and expenses contained in the prospectus at Direction.com. Read carefully. Okay, and welcome back to the Investing with IBD podcast. It's Justin Nielsen, your host, along with my weekly guest, Arusha Pierce, O'Neill Global Advisors Portfolio Manager, and our special guest this week is Joe Fami, Managing Director at Soar Capital. So, Joe, we were talking a little bit about macro, and uh, again, it was it was so easy for a lot of people to focus on the macro, just kind of looking for glimmers of hope uh, when the market was not giving you much to to be hopeful about. So. That being said, while while it's not necessary to go so deep on the macro, there is that mantra of don't bite the Fed. So how do you kind of uh, 
not get too deep into the weeds, but still make sure that you're following what's going on with the Fed and whether they're tightening and restrictive. Yeah, I think it's important, as you said, you don't have to be a macro expert, but you do need to know the general direction or, or the uh, cycle of what's going on with the Fed. There's a reason Marty Zwei came up with that expression, don't fight the Fed. And the lesson for me last year is we've heard that over and over, don't fight the Fed, don't fight the Fed. And in 25 years of doing this, it really didn't resonate until the past five years or so with me. And I can't think of a more, you know, a better example than after the pandemic. We made those lows March, April of 2020, and the Fed provided one simple word, accommodative, a very yeah. accommodative environment where they did uh, bond buying. Uh, they purchased more treasuries in the six weeks following the pandemic than they did in the nine years combined from 2009 to 2018. Incredible. So that provides tons of liquidity. Bond buying, keeping, in, inter, keeping interest rates near zero, expanding their balance sheet. So when you say don't fight the Fed, what that means to me is when it's an accommodative environment and they're providing liquidity, don't fight that, ride the trend and, and uh, of course, manage risk. But that means lean more towards the bullish side. Now, fast forward to the end of December 2021, early January of last year, those three things one at a time were taken away from the markets where they announced they were going to stop their bond buying. They were going to start raising rates in 2022 and then reduce their balance sheet. So that one word of accommodative switches over to restrictive, where that restrictive environment is, in my view, you can't really assign a percentage to it, but I think is over 90% of the reason we had that bear market in 2022 is because of that restrictive environment. So again, you just need to pay attention to, are they raising rates or are they cutting rates um, and other accommodative or restrictive measures? Yeah, and, and you're so you're paying attention, you're aware of it, but then kind of getting back to the topic that we were talking about at the end of last segment, you're still letting the price and volume action make be the final uh, decision maker for you and, and telling you when to get in and slowly pulling you in the market when, when the market's acting right or continue to push you out of the market when the, the market is uh, selling off at key uh, resistance. Yeah, the market's a discounting mechanism, so they could be providing an accommodative environment, but you're starting to see distribution days, so price is yeah. going gonna, is gonna to override all of that. And fast forward to today, you're starting to see better price action and some of that tighter price action that we're going to talk about. It could be the market anticipating, even though they're raising rates, anticipating the end of the cycle. So to your point, you need to know the bigger macro picture, but at the end of the day, the price and volume uh, overrides and rules everything, in my view. Mm -hmm. So before we kind of get into the idea of how how much tighter things are getting, and, and by, by tighter, I'm not just talking about the Fed here. I'm talking about tightness in charts. Um, but, you know, for a lot of 2022, I think it was marked by the, the opposite. There was a lot of extra volatility. And, I mean, especially with Fed announcements, CPI data coming out. I mean, you look at the October 13th low that we had, and there was this just huge spread from the low to the high. And I mean, you know, granted it came back, which is great, but man, it it really plummeted first. And so there was, a, a, I think, a big sense of you never knew what direction was going to end the day based on where it started. There was just so much internal volatility. So 
what does that do for your investments, your style and um, and everything, you know, cutting cutting losses when you've got such high volatility on uh, on specific days? Well, two things, taking a step back and looking at key moving averages, just like you don't have to be a macro expert, you don't have to be a technical expert, but you can just look if we're below the 50 day, below the 200 day mm -hmm. on the S&P, on the NASDAQ, what that's going to mean is a little bit of a red light to get defensive. So uh, I would expect higher volatility just historically when we're below that 50 and below the 200. We're below the 200 most of the year on the S&P and rally to certain levels of resistance. So um, the first point is look at where we are relative to those moving averages and understand we're going to have higher volatility when we're below them. The second point is how you deal with it, as you asked, is either you just have higher cash or lighter positions to keep you from getting chopped up and constantly getting stopped out of things. So mm -hmm. I know O'Neill has a rule, let's say 7% uh, as a stop cutting loss. You could raise that to you could double it to 14 or 15 percent if you have half the position. So yeah. instead of 100 shares at 7 percent, you could have 50 shares at 14 percent. It's the same math, but in a higher volatility environment, it gives you a little bit of room with your positions. And when you say it's the same math, it's basically you're taking the same hit to your portfolio. In that case, you're yeah, you're kind and of it's getting usually a lot of hit to it, in the yeah. bear market. Yeah, so mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's just it's just it's just the losses are slower, just more consistent throughout the bear market. But right. yeah, it's it's still the same hit, correct? Mm. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about this tightness that you were you've been starting to see in charts. So on so on the S and P five hundred, you you started to see a little bit of of tightness of of where prices were starting to. Uh, close around the same range over or over a few weeks. Yeah, and my and my my feeling is that as the market's anticipating the end of this cycle and institutions are putting more money to work, tight price action is important, especially on the weekly charts. Because two things: one, it could be a sign of the selling drying up beneath the surface, and two, it could be a sign of the institutions accumulating. Uh, sort of at a magnet at a certain price. So with the S&P at the end of December, there were three weeks where we closed roughly around 3840 for three consecutive weeks. So that showed some of the selling drying up, as well as to your point earlier, when we came down from that 200 day, we started to see support around that range uh, in that low 38, 3850 range. So that was by doing that simple analysis on the weekly charts, that was a sign that there was potential accumulation and to sort of wake up a little bit to the possibility of a new uptrend coming. Yeah. So can, can you kind of talk a little bit about that? You know, maybe, maybe tell a story about how that's accumulation. You, you kind of said it's, it's kind of like a, a level where they're comfortable buying, um, you know, but should you be seeing heavy volume there too i guess this was one of the tricks because we also had the holidays uh around the same time so you got lower volume because of the holidays so it was almost like oh does this price action even matter there's not much volume people are gone um so can, can you just kind of fill in the details there yeah we did have successively lighter volume because of the holiday shortened week so i definitely was not skeptical but i was just keeping that in the back of my mind, figuring when new money flows in beginning of the year, beginning of the month, uh, that we'd get a feel for volume, whether the volume was going to come into the upside or to the downside. But 
my feeling is, and you guys would know better because you've done the studies, my feeling is that when institutions want to accumulate, they sort of have a magnet with a certain price yeah. that they're willing to buy it up to, uh, whether it's with the index or whether it's with uh, an individual stock. So from studying history, I have found that tight price action is, is to be interpreted as the institutions accumulating beneath the surface. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you know, when, when you talk about this tightness, and especially in a bear market, the, the really the first kind of uh, story that comes to my head is back in 2008, uh, when all these stocks were selling off and Apple at that point, and, I, and I'll switch it over to Apple here, and I'll, I'll go back to 2008. Uh, but it, it kind of was really interesting uh, to learn about this, especially after I started a, to work at the firm. But one of the kind of the key things that Bill O'Neill was looking at in Apple during that time when the markets were selling off in the fall of 2008, he started to notice that there was tightness within Apple over four weeks where it all kind of magically closed around the same price range. So uh, really closed around like 96, 97 for four straight weeks. And so that was kind of the, the first thing that he noted that, hey, you know, there's some institutional accumulation here. Didn't necessarily mean that he went and bought it at that point, mm-hmm. but he was just kind of it was just kind of like a check mark that some institutions are coming in here, starting to support Apple. Now let's see if it starts to build some kind of trading range that we can then eventually merge out of that we can start buying uh, Apple again. Yeah, and that's a great point. The tightness doesn't necessarily have to be only on the right side of the base or only as they're accumulating and coming back up. There could be signs on the left side and throughout the entire base. So sometimes in your example, which is a great example with Apple, even though it's several weeks, much, you know, whatever, 10, 15, 20 weeks within that, there was a lot of almost like a magnet. It kept coming back to that yeah. price, even on the left side. So that's a tip. Uh, it's it's a tip that the institutions or could be a clue that the institutions are accumulating, even if it's earlier on in the base. Mm-hmm. And I like I like the term clue because I feel like in a lot of these cases um, you're you're almost collecting clues. So in the case of Apple, you had you had that tight action again on the left side. So it was kind of almost like it didn't want to it didn't want to go down anymore. You know there was there was such a such pressure from the market and and the, you can see on the index chart above and by the way this is uh, available on video at investors.com slash podcast for those of you that are listening if you kind of want to just go back and look at this part on video but we'll try and describe it you know the the indexes were making new lows after that and apple just seemed like it was resisting that it, it just seemed like it was you know trying not to come down as much um and eventually when the S&P 500 made its ultimate low, Apple was holding up. And so, you know, it started kind of with the clue of tightness and then followed up with more clues, more clues. And then before too long, you've got, you know, I guess maybe the balance shifting, you know, in a way. My, my theory is these big institutions have the resources that most retail people don't have, meaning yeah. they've done the fundamental work. And let's not forget what happened in 0809 is two of the greatest arguably the greatest products of our lifetime were just starting to roll out with the iPhone and the yeah. iPad. So yeah. these institutions knew the total addressable market and the potential. So if they're accumulating beneath the surface, it's probably with the objective of a three, five year or longer time frame. So I like to say, okay, I don't have the resources to do as hardcore of fundamental work that they do, but they give clues of their accumulation 
uh, during these corrections. Just right in their wake. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so uh, maybe we'd shift this back to kind of, uh, are there current examples of stocks that you're kind of seeing this action in? So we, we talked about Apple as a historical, S&P 500, uh, the, the, the weekly tightness that you were seeing kind of around the holidays. Um, what about individual stocks? Anything catch your eye there? Yeah, there was a couple. Uh, United Rentals, URI is a symbol. Uh, that's one recently where as it built the right side of the base, it just had several. And it doesn't have to be three weeks tight, four weeks tight. It could be five out of six, five mm -hmm. out of seven. In this case, uh, as it ran up, it, it let 10 week catch up to it. Sometimes on the right side of a base, when a stock runs up, it just needs to correct through price or through time. And it corrected beautifully and just held those gains to the point we made earlier. After a nice gain, sometimes they just get sold into strength. This had very, very nice gains along the way. Ironically, they reported today after the close and beat estimates and raised guidance. And I think that, again, to our point of the institutions have done their hardcore fundamental work and they're accumulating it. It's not automatic. You, of course, have to manage risk and have a stop a loss cutting policy. But my theory, again, is that they they know the fundamental story and they're accumulating it. And as long as it's has that tight price action holding the 10 week, it's acting well, in my view. Yeah, and also because it was having the tight price uh, price action going sideways while the market was still struggling, uh, you're starting to see more relative strength coming yeah. into United Rentals. So you, you can see that RS line starting to make higher highs, and actually it was getting the blue dot before it even started to uh, emerge out of this really large consolidation, or or potentially emerge out of it. Yeah. So when things were volatile in the fourth quarter. It shows relative to the market that strength by holding up so well, almost like it's waiting around, uh, you know, bases are being formed during corrections. It's just waiting around. OK, Mr. Market, when you're done correcting, yeah. I'm ready to go higher. So that's that's the encouraging thing is learn to interpret bases and study bases because bases for the most part are formed during market corrections or pullbacks. Yeah. yeah. And also to go off your. You know what we were talking about earlier—that institutions have to be invested. You're mostly invested all the time. Uh, they might be selling some other stock. They'll get out of that stock, and let's park, just park more money into a United Rentals, right? So it might not necessarily even be—it's the best out of you know the best uh, out out of a uh, out of a batch that they can buy in a really tough market. So they're like, let's just keep, just keep parking money, and it's not just one fund; it's many funds saying that. It's like, you know what? This this is a good place to just keep slowly building a position into United Rentals. And when the market slowly gets better, this one should do well. And then maybe you can eventually lighten up and get it into more growthier type of stocks when they're really ready to go. Yeah, as they're rotating maybe out of a weaker position or something that they sell, they might add to a winner or something with better prospects. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So let's let's take a look at another example. And uh, this is MedPace, ticker symbol M-E-D-P. Um, and, and I need to disclose that I do have a position in this myself. As but, do I. Um, so maybe you could start with this. This kind of had and this is one of the things that on MarketSmith, uh, for, for those that are looking at the video, you will see this kind of little blue shading when there's tight weeks. Um, you know, it, it, it's just a, a, a very subtle blue shading. And, and MedPace had two. Now, first of all, it had this huge move on its earnings report. I mean, it was like up 40%. Um, but more importantly, it kind of held that. And I guess what I want to kind of have you talk a little bit about is it felt like there was a lot of stocks that were showing three weeks tight before, but then they'd go lower. 
they'd get knocked down. It seems like there's more three weeks tights forming now where you see an upward move, or at least you have for, for a week or two. Um, is that, is that what you're seeing too? Yeah. The, the tightness is in the example that Arusha gave with Apple, who's on the left side of the base while we were mm -hmm. still correcting. If we're slowly starting to come out of this now, you're right. It's you're seeing tightness and then it's stair stepping higher with even more tightness. So the tightness overall is not just on the left side of the base, not just as you're building the bottom of the base or the right side is as a subtle character change, as things hopefully start to break out, you start to see it hold in that level, another sign of health that strength isn't being sold into. It's actually being accumulated after the breakout. So it's a great point that uh, you're starting to see some tightness as we're moving higher as well. Mm -hmm. um, and and this is another one. Uh, Arusha mentioned the, the blue dot, uh, mm -hmm. which is uh, the relative strength line getting to new highs. I mean, it, it jumped to those new highs on the earnings report. But again, this was one of those cases where the tightness, and I think you mentioned this earlier before, Joe, that um, sometimes it's kind of nice because it lets the moving average lines kind of catch up a little bit and uh, you know take take that breather. Yeah, so it ran up huge off of those earnings, unexpected, better than expected. So that's another reminder during corrections. Let's not forget, we tend to have a lot of recency bias that everything yeah. is horrible. Let's not forget there are newer entrepreneurial companies that are flourishing in a corrective environment. And as soon as the correction is done, those could be the ones that move to new highs. So they had better than expected earnings. It pulled back. But during the pullback, while the market was volatile, there was a lot of tightness in the bottom of the base, it's stair-stepped higher, a, a little bit above that 10-week. So that's double supportive action where it's being accumulated and holding that 10-week. And then it's just slowly stair-stepping higher. So, uh, again, there's no uh, certainties in the markets. I always yeah. like to talk in terms of probabilities where mm -hmm. when you see that, it just increases your probabilities of something working out when you see the institutions accumulating it combined with the earnings and sales growth. Yeah, no, I'm I'm kind of glad you you mentioned that, you know, there are no certainties because you yeah. could you could have the the best stock in the market in the best industry group and the greatest bull market ever, and it still could fail, and and so that's why we always do have that uh, sell rule just to get us out, you know, because they're for whatever reason, you know, these stocks can go down, and risk management is the top priority. Right, but if you're buying it, that's a great point. If you're buying it around that tightness and around a flat area where you see a defined range, yeah, your risk yep. management can be if it breaks below that range rather than buying it when it's straight up in the air and not buying it properly. So those bases, yep. even though they might not work, gives you a range to at least set a stop around that range. Yeah, and I mean, having those risk management rules in place and kind of uh, a signal that, hey, this is breaking my expectation because if it were doing the right thing, it would hold here. And if it's not, then you, you have a clear signal that you can just get out. Now, uh, just, just to kind of wrap up this section, um, you know, we're, we're seeing more tightness. Um, we're seeing a lot of stocks kind of come up to uh, previous resistance levels. We're, we're seeing that in the indexes. We're seeing that in individual stocks. Um, uh, I guess the, the, the fear is that they come up to those resistance levels and get turned away again. Um, so what are you looking for uh, going forward in terms of giving you more confidence that, hey, th this time it's for real. It's not just one of those bear market rally fakeouts. Yeah, I think one difference is uh, between now I'm subtly noticing more stocks working out. So beneath the surface, we want to see more stocks breaking out on good volume, holding their breakouts and the broader the sectors, the better. 
So let's not forget we tend to be live in a very impatient world where everyone's expecting, hey, are we going to new highs tomorrow or are we going to break down? I would just like to see slow and steady progress, meaning breaking above those key moving averages on the indices with individual stocks breaking, breaking out, holding those levels and sideways digestion would be healthy. And then hopefully a whole crop of stocks start to set up. But it's slow and steady. It's it takes a little bit of time. Let's not forget, even off of the March of 09 lows, some of the true leaders like Baidu and Apple and even Chipotle later on, they didn't come until a few months afterwards. So in other words, if the rally's for real, there'll be plenty of time and more stocks showing up. Mm -hmm. And to that point, when we come back, we're going to take a look at some of the stocks that are on Joe Fami's radar right now. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Trading Tesla, sometimes you get the bear. Sometimes it gets you. Single stock daily leverage and inverse ETFs from Direction. Before investing, carefully consider a fund's objectives, risk, charges, and expenses contained in the prospectus at Direction.com. Read carefully. Welcome back to the Investing with IBD podcast. It's Justin Nielsen here, along with Arusha Pires, O'Neill Global Advisors Portfolio Manager, and our special guest, Joe Fami, Managing Director at Zor Capital. So we kind of talked a little bit about the markets. We've talked a little bit about this tight action that can really help you find some of the winning stocks, that, that, that tricky, silent accumulation that's happening. So now let's talk about some stocks that may be on your radar. So Joe, do you want to start? Uh, where do you want to start? Yeah, let's start with biotech because I screen the market every night to get a true feel for the market and what sectors are leading and so forth. And I just pay attention to the stocks that are consistently coming up. And biotech has been the most prominent in my screens with so many biotech names. Like in the past, I've seen a whole bunch of semiconductors show up and you see you know housing stocks in 05, 06. So I'm always looking for sector rotation and themes. And currently... Uh, the majority of stocks showing up on my screens are biotech, but a lot of people don't want to deal with single stock risk or might not want to put in the time for the research or might not understand a lot of things. So one way for me, and full disclosure, I have a position is in XBI because it's a way to give you broad exposure to the sector that, in my view, is showing some great strength right now. Yeah, so let's uh, let's take a look at it. And, um, you know, in this case, I mean... <laughs> Look, the, the the biotechs as a group, and by the way, this is one of the largest groups that we have uh, yeah. in MarketSmith. We have everything kind of sorted by 197 groups in Biomed Biotech. What what is it like 800 names in here? I, I want to say like, it's by far the largest. Yeah, I, I mean I'm the only sure one that is ETF ETNs, but that's that's kind yeah, of that not really that doesn't count, count yeah. you know, because it's it's they're all over the place um, and not really indicative of a, a group really. But uh, th th this was really out of favor. I mean, if we go to the weekly chart to just kind of get a sense of where this came from, I mean, it really peaked. Yeah. Well, basically, you know. Uh, back in back in 2020, yeah, and, February 2021. Oh, that, I'm sorry, that's February 2021. So that's exactly where we we're talking about where uh, a lot of the growth peaked. I mean, you know, anything that was COVID darling, like Peloton and Zoom Video and and so on. That's that's when the, when they peaked. So um, we're we're significantly off those highs. But what what to you has changed? Is it XBI itself, or is it the the fact that the components keep on coming up on your screens yeah the reason it peaked the opposite reason which i'll get into is one of the reasons i like xbi but the first reason is relative strength so going back to our tightness discussion 
while the market was very volatile the second half of the year, I feel like every time I looked at XBI, it was plus or minus a few dollars around $80. So the market made that new low into August, September, and XBI just showed great relative strength. Uh, The market was volatile again in the fourth quarter. I look at it, it's 77, 83, $80, and it was just super tight around that $80 price range. So while the market made a few lows in 2022, XBI held up very, very well. Uh, So the relative strength is the first reason I like it. The second reason is M&A, meaning that a lot of the large big pharma, your Novartis and Pfizer's and Merck's and all the Glaxo and all these big companies, they have pristine balance sheets and tons of cash. They're always looking to uh, put that money to work and if 2022 is a difficult year and we saw, I think there were 22 buyouts in biotech and the average gain was 120%. So they're putting money to work because they're always looking to build a pipeline of drugs. And if they put money to work in a difficult environment, when the environment gets better, I think it, I think that M&A activity will continue. And the third reason, when we peaked out around COVID, let's not forget a lot of the the focus on biotechs were f- towards vaccines and a lot of trials were put on hold so that's why i think biotech corrected more and now that uh the trials are back on we're starting to get some good data that's another reason why i like the sector yeah and when really a lot of times when i just look at this chart and we've talked about this justin and i've talked about this in, in some other episodes but this is the first time in over a year uh, really a year and a half where it's actually picking up a pattern. That 80 yeah. area that you were talking about oscillating around there, it's at, it's gone sideways long enough for pattern recognition to recognize a pattern and calling it a cup with a handle. And so that is pretty significant. And that goes back to what we were talking about in the first segment where you're starting to see a little bit of a, a, a subtle character change going on here. And, and that money, that accumulation, that slowly, that seems to be happening within this area is starting to be picked up on the chart and starting to result in a pattern. Yeah, so recently, if you want to expand that range, I said around 80, let's say 75 to 85 was the rough range for a while. Uh, to your point, recently we got above that range on decent volume. Mm-hmm. And now going back to that word tightness, we're starting to consolidate rather than having it drop right back into the 80, 78 range. We're starting to consolidate a little bit higher in that 84, 85 to 89 range. So it's another character change. And it's a great point that you make where not only the pattern recognition, but clearing those levels and so far holding it uh, is it's at least showing some strength. So it's a step in the right direction. Yeah, and a great, great example of tightness. Um, but I, I also wanted to ask you, so why XBI? There's also IBB. So XBI is kind of the, the S&P um, biotechnology index is what that's tracking. IBB is tracking the NASDAQ biotechnology index. Now, there's a big difference in the holdings, you know, the top 10 holdings of XBI, you know, it, it's just more spread out. So you your top 10 holdings are less than 10% of the weight uh, for the entire ETF. Whereas for IBB, uh, what, what is it? The top 10 holdings are like 50% yeah. of, the, of, of the ETF. Do you have a preference? You know, most people talk about, hey, concentration, you know, either go big or go home, um, you know, but XBI is certainly more spread out. W- what's your preference here? 
I like them both. I like XBI a little bit better because it is equal weight and you have a little bit more of those small and mid cap names. To okay. your point, you can just Google uh, the components of them both. You'll find IBB has a larger concentration in Amgen and Vertex and some of the larger big pharma names, Biogen and so forth. I like, I think there's better opportunity in some of the small and mid cap that has more equal weight. So I think they're both acting well. I just, it's more of a preference for me. But, uh, you know, I, I'm okay with either one if people want broad exposure to the sector. Yeah, very good. Um, so let's see, the next one that you had on your list, uh, well, uh, go, go, go ahead and uh, uh, talk a little bit about that one. Yeah. Yeah, Revance Reva uh, Therapeutics. So in the biomed biotech area. <laughs> if, yeah, so. I wanted to give one specifically in biotech okay. that's one that's more of a higher conviction name for me. A lot of people, just, the, the first thing you tell people is like, I don't want to touch it. It's biotech. They just have this aversion to it but number one hey do what works for you if it doesn't fit your risk tolerance then you can pass but for me i like to dig into these companies not only through resources that i know and on the street following unusual option activity but what i have found is that those big pharma names they like to let the smaller cap names go through the struggles of all the phases the phase one and 2a and 2b trial and going in front of the fda panels and all that stuff after the FDA approves their drugs, then I find Big Pharma can go in and say, okay, you went through all the pain. Now we can come in to help commercialize. We have the sales team and so forth. So Revance just got an FDA approval for a competitor to Botox called Daxify. And Botox, depending on the numbers you look at, uh, is somewhere around a six to eight billion uh, in sales in 2021, depending on the numbers you look at with projections to be closer to 14 or 15 billion in the next five years. So it's a huge market. Uh, and Revance has a product that not only is a better solution as far as the chemistry of it, where it's not as, you know, the chemistry of it, but it lasts longer than Botox, where Botox mm. is about three, four months, their solution lasts four to six months. So it's less frequent injections. So the reason for the big jump recently is they weren't expecting any sales. And they surprised with about 11 or 12 billion in sales when they weren't the analysts weren't expecting any. So that's a sign to me that uh, th that there's potential in a big total addressable market uh, for their new drug. Mm -hmm. And is there anything specific? I mean, you're you're using resources. You know, you've you've got maybe more resources than. Uh, Joe Schmo off the street, um, but when when someone looks at okay, this has this has some revenue growth. There's no earnings, you know, and and sometimes you're looking at these speculative names where they don't even have the revenue yet. I mean, maybe it's milestone payments. So, um, what what's your suggestion for people that maybe don't have the chemistry degrees to kind of dig into the the science behind some of these and and understand, you know, beyond the marketing material? My suggestion would be to do a little bit of work. I mean, that might be an, that might be an option. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> I kind of. I kind of give XBI for that reason, because I completely yeah. understand and respect people don't want the risk. They don't want uh, they it might they might not understand it. I don't understand certain things either. So when there's so many biotechs looking good, it gives you broad exposure to it. One thing I do follow is unusual option activity. And again, I'm doing this professional professional. I'm very passionate about it. And I'm noticing they're writing a lot of puts. When I see put writing on biotech, that tells me that for something that's risky, they're willing buyers below certain levels. 
So okay. when I see big blocks of put writing that I am seeing an RBNC going out to April, and I believe uh, the May or June strike as well, uh, that could potentially give it a little bit of a floor. Um, and another option could be, as I said, to pass or just a lighter position yeah. to help deal with the potential volatility or any sort of risk. But that's why I like the names that I do own already have FDA approval for their drugs. Not to say there's no risk, but you don't you don't have to worry about trials coming out that right. could miss on a uh, on a P value of a, of a phase two trial or something. Mm-hmm. What do you generally consider as a lighter position? Uh, an average position could be 5%, so a lighter position can be 1% to 3 maybe okay. half half that. Yeah. And that's a great question. It just depends on people's risk tolerance. Some people, 10% is their full position. Some people, 25 I just say, in general, 5% is a good guideline. And mm-hmm. let's say you go half of that, or let's say you take a 2% position. If, God forbid, the thing drops 50%, it's not going to ruin your portfolio. Right, if, right. Uh, so... So lighter than what you're used to, but I encourage people to sort of define what their risk tolerance is. For someone younger, it might be a larger position. For someone closer to retirement, it might be a lighter position. But based on what your normal position is, uh, maybe something lighter would be a way to deal with that risk. Yeah, and also assume that, you know, and throw that scenario in. What happens to my portfolio (laughs) if this drops 50%, right? You always want to kind of think about the worst case scenarios um, and, and then look at the results and and figure out can you handle that yeah to your point the best traders that you study they all t- they have the same top three rules defense 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 right. cut your losses cut your losses cut your losses so you do have to think not thinking okay well this stock could go to the moon and we always think upside you have to think defensively what if it does drop 30 or 40 percent what position size can i deal with that's not going to ruin my portfolio that i can sleep at night with and then adjust your positions accordingly Mm-hmm. So you, you you mentioned the unusual option activity. Um, is there is there a particular uh, source that you use to kind of recognize that? Um, you know when 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 that unusual option activity is happening? Yeah, there's a couple that I use. Uh, options Hawk has great uh, options flow. It's a separate service that I do pay for. Wall Street Jesus. I know it's a funny name, but he also has a separate. Uh, I don't have the resources to follow all this but i use people that have services there's also mm-hmm. other services out there those are the two of the best that i've found where it's almost like a twitter feed where they are curating the data right. for you yeah. and i, I want to repeat that i only use it if it coincides with something mm-hmm. that it's already on my list mm-hmm. so it's an it's a supplemental uh something i've developed over the past few years not just earnings and sales growth and technicals and seasonality and following the institutions but that's another flavor to help increase your probabilities of success uh, with other people that follow it. And then if it coincides with my work, it might be something that I'll look at. Or I'm sure it can go the other way too. It might be an idea generator. Um, You're like, oh, hey, this has unusual option activity. And then you kind of kick the tires on it and you're like, oh, it also has all these other things too. Yeah, that's that's a whole other conversation, but you're 100% right, where if let's say there's some software names that are beaten down now, and I know some will come back, some won't, I'm Mm -hmm. starting to see if I see consistent flows in them, that might be a way I might mix something up rather than buying something near a high. I might say, okay, you know, now some stock that came down from a 20 to a 4 billion valuation could be attractive to uh, private equity or Microsoft or IBM for a buyout, something like that. So yeah. So we've t- 
talked a little bit about biotech. Let's talk about one of the tech areas that has certainly been showing strength this year, and that's that's chips. And we can go ahead and you know take a look at KLA Corp. Uh, that's KLAC is the ticker symbol on this. Electronic Semiconductor Equipment uh, Group has been one of you know, really coming up strong. It's number 57 out of 197. And there's a lot of stocks in this group that um, are doing much, much better than, than the average. Uh, you know, they're already above their 50-day lines, their 200-day lines. So what is it about KLAC that you like? So within chips, I'm, I'm always paying attention to relative strength during uh, corrections, the stocks that hold up well. Really quick, two examples coming out of 0809 green mountain coffee and netflix were two yeah. of the first stocks to make new highs again just not automatic just helps your probabilities of finding a decent winner so within chips while i'm screening i specifically have found that semi-equipment names are holding up better for example amd and nvidia are great companies they're considerably off their highs where klac is holding up much better so you have the strong earnings and sales growth which is which is great you have the technical relative strength, which is another, you know, just another notch. You just want to try to stack the deck, so to speak. You have that tightness that we were talking about in the charts where it ran up nicely. And similar to United Rentals, it just went sideways, caught up to its 10 week with some nice accumulation along the right side. You do also have some decent uh, option activity in this one. But bottom line is the relative strength within chips, it's holding up very well. Now, really quick, one of their competitors, uh, Lamb Research, ironically, today after the close, they beat earnings and had some soft guidance. I think some of these companies are guiding uh, conservatively, but uh, KLAC is holding up better and they've already upped their guidance. So uh, of the chip equipment names, this is one full disclosure that I own, and I'm just going to use the 10 week as my uh, as my stop on this one. And, and it looks like KLAC is reporting tomorrow. Yeah. So, yes, uh, they are. KLAC is reporting 26th after the close. Okay. So I've already accumulated a position from a little bit lower. So I have a little bit okay. of a cushion. Um, but I think they're only pricing in like a 4%. It's not like a 4 or 5% move. Doesn't mean that can't be risk, but yeah. um, it's one that I'm just going to use the 10 week as uh, as my stop. And and for that for that expected move, are you just kind of basically taking the the at the money straddle? price to kind of get that expected move uh yeah. for earnings yeah yeah okay. i you yeah i do look take at that all, to... take the put at the money add them together and that's kind of the the, the the expected point move it doesn't tell you direction just tells you kind of the move right it can just help you adjust your position size where some when enterprise software was doing well some of those names had 20 18 expected moves yeah. <laughs> microsoft earlier this week they were pricing in a four to five percent move so mm -hmm. When you look at it, to your point, it it just it's not you know you can you can have an outsized move, but at mm -hmm. least it can help you adjust your position. There's a difference between holding you know Exxon Mobil over earnings and Netflix over earnings and stuff like that. You just have right. to weigh that risk, and by using uh, the expected move, can help you adjust position sizes there too. Mm -hmm. And one other thing I just wanted to mention on KLAC because you you, you did talk about the fundamentals on this and um, it does have a, a really strong EPS growth rate that annual growth rate you can see that over on the left hand side uh, on on the MarketSmith chart here at 27%. But not only that, but it also has an earning stability of 12, which is on the lower side. That number goes from one to 99. Uh, the lower being more stable. So 27%. 
growth rate annually. I mean, that's nothing to sneeze at, but the fact that it's able to do that fairly consistently uh, and with a lot of stability to it uh, is, is, is pretty impressive. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, the earnings, of course, matter. It's you still get a dividend out of it. It's a fairly reasonable, uh, you know, price to earnings for the considering mm -hmm. the growth. So, um, as always, you know, there's always downside to everything. But I, I like the tight accumulation, similar to URI, where the tight accumulation could hopefully be a sign that the institutions have done their due diligence and uh, you know they've already upped their guidance in their last quarter in October. So. Uh, I think I think hopefully it'll come, it'll come out OK and we'll see new highs soon. Yeah, great. Well, Joe Fami, thank you so much for joining us again on the podcast uh, for our 201st episode. <laughs> um, but uh, also, you know, again, for people that want to follow you, um, go ahead and give them that Twitter handle again. Yeah, it's at Jay Fami, my just my first initial and last name. They can also go to JoeFami.com where I have some information. I blog frequently and. Uh, you know, you can contact me there if you're interested as well. Yeah. No, well, and I and I I do want to say, and I've told Joe this. You know, for biotechs, and you saw this with with a lot of this episode. You know, Joe is one of those resources that I'll go for for biotech information. I've found it really hard to find some good biotech information on stocks, with especially what we're doing. And mm -hmm. so, uh, going checking out Joe's blog, or you know, or or you know, talking to Joe, or listen watching his uh, tweets. That's always been very very helpful for me. Right. Not to mention the educational webinars that you do, Joe. Right. I think those are those are fantastic as well. So, uh, again, we just appreciate you sharing that knowledge with our with our listeners and our viewers. And the jokes. So, and the jokes, of <laughs> course. So, uh, thanks so much for being on again. Thank you. It's an honor, and uh, thank you again for everything you guys do as well. Thank you. Okay, and uh, that's going to wrap it up for us on this episode. Next week, we're going to have Anne Marie Band back on the show. I mean, she's uh, one of those great options, um, and you know, just technical analysis. She's got the neuroscience background. Uh, always a pleasure to talk with Anne Marie Band. Uh, she's also a frequent guest on our IBD Live show, um, author of the Trading Book, and uh, yeah, we'll be picking her brain for some options ideas. She's a recent contributor for our options content at Investors.com. So we'll be kind of talking a little bit about some of the things she's been uh, doing for us. So hope you tune in for that. Thank you so much for listening to us today, and we hope you have a great trading day. Take care. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast if you haven't already. We'd really appreciate it. You can also send us your questions and comments to investingpodcast at investors.com. We would love to hear from you and may use your comments on an upcoming episode. And for this week's notes and charts, make sure to go to investors.com slash podcast, where you'll find details for each episode in the podcast episode section. And make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast if you haven't already. We'd really appreciate it. You can also send us your questions and comments to investingpodcast at investors.com. We would love to hear from you and may use your comments on an upcoming episode. This podcast is for informational and educational purposes only, and nothing should be construed as a recommendation to buy, hold, or sell any securities. Make sure to consider consulting with your financial advisor before making any investment decisions.